In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, we're going to be causing a lot of confusion because we're talking to a Scott about a Scott. <laughs> Scott Corelli, is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World a movie that has been, will be, or should be um, pre-made? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm of the opinion that uh, certainly not, though... The scenario that we've cooked up for this one, I think, is particularly interesting. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I, I don't ever want this movie to be remade, but this I think this would be interesting. Yeah. So the initial pitch for this episode that you came up with was, what if we took a movie and what like if modern movie, as movie. it exists now... Right. Yeah. As it exists now was the remake of a movie that came out in the 90s. Yeah. Or whenever. Yeah, we right. chose the 90s. Right. So we're taking Scott Pilgrim versus the world and sending it back 15 years before it actually came out. Like, no, just like a little, little over a decade. Yeah. It's it's 2010 and we're, we're doing 1999. Mm -hmm. 11 years prior. Right. Because one of the things that came up when I was doing my research was not another teen movie. I was like, oh, who was the star of? Can't use him. (laughs) Yeah. So it's actually not quite that far back, but I still pulled in a bunch of different people because the style of movie making Mm -hmm. is wildly different. Right. You wouldn't be able to do anything that that, that Edgar Wright did with like digital effects and things like that in 1999. Like it's just – it was – all of that stuff was still in his infancy where we were still like like oohed and odd by like liquid metal moving around (laughs) that was that was it that was the best they had and part of the things that makes scott pilgrim what it is is just like the kind of hipster culture and music in general Mm -hmm. and even that hadn't really been birthed yet right yeah i actually did because in the original movie uh sex bombs songs are written and created by beck and the class the clash of demon head songs uh are written by uh this band called metric so I actually – I also cast the bands that make the songs for these oh, bands. Um, great. Smart. I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I went I went full bore. I'm like, yeah, if this was made in 1999, what would it look like? Cool. Yeah. It also predates so before- the comic. So we're also presupposing that the comic series by Brian Lee O'Malley was an adaptation of this movie. <laughs> Which I think we are now comfortably able to say is in fact true. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so before we get into that, uh, I remember you said one time that you saw Scott Pilgrim vs. the World seven times in the theaters. Yes. Is that right? Yes, that's true. That was, this was the, this was the first Edgar Wright movie that I saw, like, uh, based on a weird obsessive number thing that I discovered that I have for Edgar Wright movies. Um, so, (laughs) so with, uh, with. You know, Shaun of the Dead, I never saw that in theaters because uh, I didn't discover it until video. Hot Fuzz, I saw twice. And then when Scott Pilgrim came out, I just kept seeing it because I loved it so much. I was like completely blown away by this movie. And I was the only person in the theater most of the time because this movie bombed. But I 
uh, I probably I saw this. I think I got to around four times, and I realized that oh, I should see it seven times for as many evil exes as there are in the movie. And so I went ahead and saw it three more times before it left theaters. The last time being the very last showing that my local theater was showing it, like on a Thursday night or whatever. And then, uh, and then after that, uh, I did the same thing with uh, the World's End, uh, seeing it twelve times because if that's how many pubs are in the movie. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I did, I did a similar thing. I saw uh, Baby Driver um, a bunch of times as well, but um, I don't think I, I never got quite. I couldn't quite figure out a number goal because uh, I couldn't do like how many songs. So I think I ended up doing six times for the six driving sequences in the movie that's kind of like where my head went with that one but that one's like kind of a stretch because there's not a there's not a very like hard number in that one but um yeah i don't know edgar wright movies and numbers for some reason uh have always fascinated me and um have made me uh decide to see his movies a particular amount of times in theaters and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was the first time that I did that. That's awesome. <laughs> I I rarely see a movie multiple times in theaters. Mm-hmm. Just That's just not how my brain works. But I know Scott Pilgrim in particular, I did. Oh. Because it came out in 2010. And I remember seeing it, I feel like, when did it come out uh, that year? Like, at what time of year? I think it was springtime. Okay. Um, like March I'm pretty April? sure I saw it with my friends in college and then I went home and saw it with my friends uh, from back home Mm. because I was like, Oh my gosh, you guys, we have to go see this thing. It's amazing. So I was wrong. I actually saw it uh, or it was actually in uh, August 13th, 2010 was its release date. Nonetheless. Okay. It came out in 2010 college time. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I, it's just, this is just one of those movies that if you were the right age at the right time, this has got to be, one of your favorite movies just because it's so good and so it, it just strikes that chord so hard mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> what was the last time you saw because we both rewatched it prior to um to this recording when was the last time you'd seen it prior to your most recent viewing well uh funny thing funny you should say that uh i actually do a uh a scott pilgrim minute podcast um that is only one minute a week, and it's exclusive to the Dueling Genre Patreon. But uh, I've been doing that for two years. So uh, a minute at a time for uh, over a year now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a hundred and so hundred or so minutes in. You're pretty deep into the movie. Yeah. Uh, we, well, we had some uh, we had some scheduling conflicts, so we're actually only like sixty. I just recorded minute sixty three just the other day, yesterday. I think. So you're halfway done. Yeah. Yeah, we're halfway. It's pretty good. Yeah. I, I I still love this movie and I love everything about it. But like watching it this time, I was like, wow, there's some sexism and racism issues in here that I didn't remember being a thing. Uh, I don't know. What's the racism thing other than it being a lot of white people? Um, oh, I guess I, I guess the Asian stuff, right? Yeah, that's it. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the Asian stuff. Yeah, that's fair. It's also, but then it's also, I mean, with the with the case of uh, Knives Child, they did cut out the worst thing about her character, which was her mother, um, who was uh, a very stereotypical, like, older lady, Chinese lady. Um, That's that, probably smart. Yeah, that was fine when it was in the graphic novel by Brian Lee O'Malley, who himself is Asian-Canadian. Asian, Asian Canadian. 
Um, I almost said Asian American. That is not correct. Uh, <laughs> so it was fine when he did it, but then it's like when you, when, when white people are behind uh, adapting that, it's like, maybe, maybe take those things out. Cause that's uh, it, it becomes a problem. Um, but right. I, I don't remember there being anything in the movie that wasn't in the graphic novel first. So it's, I don't know. It's like, it, it's sort of like, it, it's if it's definitely on the iffy side of things, but then it's also being adapted from material that was made by an Asian Canadian. So I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it, it drew my attention in a way that like, I may not have noticed it if I hadn't been doing a podcast that specifically calls that stuff out for the oh, past yeah. two and a half years. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And there are like, only the only persons of color i think in this are matthew patel it's all asians like that that's it it's only asians right so it's like i think that's accurate yeah i don't i don't i don't remember other than like maybe there's like some like i don't know uh like black hipster in like the background of a party scene or something like that i don't even think there's that i don't even think there's that either (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah, I did. No, I did make. I made one change in the cast where I I, I changed the race of a character, um, but it was only one because it's like it's tough because you don't want to like make it feel unnatural in any way. Um, and I I think I found one that is like a very good place to put uh, a person of an extra person of color. Um, but uh, I, yeah, it was it was it was definitely tough, especially considering 1999, not the most diverse period of time for things it is not and (laughs) i i somewhat leaned into that a little bit yeah it's it was a it's definitely a struggle it was a struggle for sure uh finding a knives chow was particularly hard oh i had fun finding a knives chow i'm pretty happy with who i found yeah so am i but it took me a while yeah like once i figured out how i was going to find her i was like up yep this is gonna be it (laughs) yeah the uh the other thing that kind of bumped me a little bit was i remember there was a isn't there like a take like people who are like well he should have ended up with knives he should have ended up with uh ramona and there's like an alternate ending where he ends up with knives yeah the original ending of the movie uh because the movie was made before the final book came out in the in the graphic novel series and uh uh which i'm saying not to be pretentious but because they literally were published as graphic novels not as uh monthly comics but yeah, like the last book in the series was re- was released the July before the August release of the movie. So it wasn't done when they were making the movie. I think they when they first started adapting it, they only had the first four volumes um, and there are six books in the series. So like while they were making it, five came out and then while they were on post in post, six was getting made. So they kind of just had to make up the ending themselves. Um, I think Brian Lee O'Malley like helped them, but I, I, I have a theory that he, he kind of like set them up of like, yeah, maybe this is what happens. And then just sort of sat back to see what the reaction was so that so he, he knew he pulled the George R. R. Martin essentially. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely did. Except that his book actually came out. Um, ah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he totally did that. And uh, uh, I, I think that when the reaction to test screenings with the Knives Chow ending happened, I think a lot of people were like, well, she did all she had all this growth and then she just ends up taking back the guy that cheated on her. Like, that's not 
a great ending. And and also, she's still seventeen. Also, she's still seventeen, which is uh, uh, problematic for many reasons. Um, Yes, but uh, uh, and at least the movie knows that it's problematic. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) at least, at least, it's called out continuously by every single person Scott interacts with. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then. Uh, yeah, and so, like, the test screening went poorly, so then they reshot the ending with the ending that we have in the movie, and then people didn't like that ending either. I personally feel that the best ending for Scott Pilgrim would have been that he ends up with no one. Um, because, like, literally, like, the end of the movie is he, he gets the, uh, the sort of, uh, (laughs) the, the sort of self-respect you know that's it thank you yeah and it's like it's like okay well self-respect should mean that like he doesn't need to be defined by like having a girlfriend or anything so like maybe he needs to like figure himself out that i feel like that would have been the best ending but you know people are weird about love triangles and they want a decision one way or the other because um, there's got to be an otr yeah there has to be oh an otr one true romance. Oh, 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 wow! I've never heard that before. I've heard OTP, one true pairing. Ah, um, interesting. I might be saying it wrong. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> either way, <laughs> yeah, either way, it means this means the same thing. But yeah, yeah, you're right. There always has to be one of those, and uh, sometimes that's not for the betterment of like the characters and the story that's being told. It's just you know, pressure from the studio or from test screenings or whatever. And I definitely think that the movie would be, that's the only thing that I would say would improve the movie, in my opinion, outside of like, you know, diversifying it a little bit more. Um, It would be, would be that, uh, would be the ending being that like, maybe Scott just doesn't end up with anybody and Ramona goes off and isn't defined by a guy and Knives doesn't take back her cheater. And Scott Pilgrim is like, well, I guess I need to grow up and, you know, stop being whatever I'm, I, I am right now. <laughs> I guess I'll go get a job. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know where he gets his money because he definitely didn't have that much since he was having knives pay for everything. Right. I think that was the thing. He was he was a mooch, I think, is what the 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 idea of the movie was. Like, it was always like anytime anyone was he like needed to buy something he was always with someone who bought it for him yep yeah so then let's talk about uh the 90s 90sification of of this movie because if this movie came out in 1999 it would kind of be at like the height of all of that like ridiculousness how would this even work as a 1999 movie man i you know it's interesting because um have you read the comic i have not okay so the book is you know, because there's a lot more space to breathe in in it because it's, you know, six books long instead of, um, you know, uh, a 100-minute movie. It has more space to breathe, and so it has a very distinct Gen X quality to the, to the comic, which is not what the movie has. The movie, as you said, is very distinctly, like, millennial hipster. Um, the yes. comic is definitely more of a Gen X vibe. And I think that as a result of that, it has a, I don't know, like kind of like a, like a indie movie quality. Um, the comic does. Yeah. The comic does. Um, whereas the movie is very like, I, you know, we're don't, don't hold your breath. Cause it's just like, it's like, bam, 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 bam. It's just nonstop. Um, never, never, uh, uh, pauses really for much of anything. 
um, which is, you know, a choice and a great choice. Right. I love the movie. I mean, we, we, the movie itself establishes that it takes place over what? Uh, four and a half weeks? Something like that. Yeah. Um, but we it, it just based on the pacing of the movie, it could have all happened in like an afternoon. Right, exactly. And the, mo- the, the book series, I think, takes place over the course of a couple of years or a year year and a half something like that my understanding is that it's a year because knives chow turns 18 by the end of the series oh right yeah and we we do get um two uh birthdays for scott pilgrim um i think at one point at one point he turns from 21 to 22 or 22 to 23 or something like that so there's uh yeah so it just has a different vibe you know it's just a slower narrative i think So I think doing this in 99, I think you'd want to bring a little bit more of that energy to it, the more grounded reality to it, um, and then let the fight scenes and stuff sort of stand out as abnormal the way that they do in the comic. Yeah. The way I've always kind of thought of this movie is so the second time I saw it in theaters, I saw it with a a friend of mine named Chad who had a hard time getting into the world of the movie because he wasn't able to combine the like the macro with the micro he wasn't able to see the fight scenes and the like the craziness as separate necessarily from like the actual narrative going on underneath Mm -hmm. and the way we kind of described it to him and the way we kind of got him on board was we were like well it's a musical this is a world where where people occasionally break into fight scenes Mm -hmm. just like in a musical where they occasionally break in a song and for us, for the kind of millennial style of all of this, that like kind of makes sense, especially because they call it out like, oh, coins. And this isn't even enough for the bus fare home. Mm-hmm. It's we set something up while simultaneously knocking it back down. And that that works for us. But from like a, an overworld perspective of how does it work? I don't know. You kind of got to build a little bit. And I think in the 90s, it would function a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Like it would, they would have this fight scene and then everything would return to normal and the evil ex would walk away. Yeah. Like he wouldn't I, explode. Right. Yeah. I think that, I think that they makes, wouldn't explode. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, I, as a, as a way of doing this for sure. Or they get like arrested or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Like, uh, Lucas Lee gets taken to the hospital cause he shattered both his legs. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a much more um, grounded approach to all of this, I think is definitely the way to go. I agree. Yeah. I think you can still do cartoony stuff. Um, and I think I can, I, I can explain what I mean by that uh, when we get into who we're picking for writer director, but yeah, I definitely agree that a more grounded approach is the way to go. So because we're doing this a little bit differently and because of how we're initially setting this up i normally like doing plot arc and then resolving into casting but Mm -hmm. i feel like for this episode in particular we should like kind of go in reverse okay start with writer director do our casting and then kind of talk about how that affects the world after all of that oh yeah yeah for sure so i actually think we should start with writer director and then we'll talk about cast so do you want to go first for writer well uh my writer and director are the same so ah, got yeah. it. So I'll talk about writer, you'll say yours, and then I'll talk about my director. Okay, perfect. So when I was going through and casting and getting my writer, director, and everything, I didn't do anything. 
I didn't uh, use anything that they did after 1999. It's all stuff leading up to when this movie would have been made. Yeah. So for my writer, I wanted someone who kind of did the the big crazy settings at what like he's adapted comic books although this isn't this is pre-comic book but nonetheless and can kind of handle that so like he wrote bill and ted he wrote bill and ted's uh Mm. the second uh uh the second one he did the super mario brothers movie he adapted men in black Mm. this is a writer named ed solomon who That's, that's good i like that choice thank you and i just thought he would be kind of able to handle the the broadness of it all. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's a really, really good, interesting choice. Yeah, I like that a lot. Especially when you take, yeah, Men in Black. It's like Men in Black and and Bill and Ted, and you combine them, and yeah, you, I, I could see how that would become Scott Pilgrim. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, tell me about your writer director. Yeah. So my writer director, uh, they, uh, it's actually a team. And they had done a film in 98 uh, that was like – I, I really, really loved um, growing up. I watched it all the time. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. And um, they would then go on in like 2001 to make another movie. And then they, they haven't made a movie since. They've uh, – uh, Oh, no. Yeah. They've, they've eventually made it to like TV. Um, and so they're, they, they're showrunners uh, occasionally. And uh, that's all well and good, but um, I really miss them as filmmakers, and I think that if their 1998 film had led to this rather than the film that they did in 2001, um, I think you can definitely draw a straight line as far as uh, style and, and everything else. And the, these, uh, these filmmakers are uh, Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, who had directed Can't Hardly Wait in 1998 and then later went on to direct Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, that's, Oh, that's so good. Yeah. (laughs) First of all, I don't know what's going on with Josie and the Pussycats, but I love that movie. Oh, that movie's amazing. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. And the fact that it's the bomb that it is hurts my heart. Yeah. Oh yeah. My, mine too. But that's the thing is they only made bombs because can't hardly wait was also a bomb. Um, there's a joke. Yeah. There's a joke in Josie and the Pussycats that, um, when, Parker Posey is showing the government around her like center and showing all the subliminal messages that they've been putting into music and commercials. Uh, one of the subliminal messages is can't hardly wait is, is actually a great successful movie. <laughs> I missed that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that, I think that the vibe of Josie and the Pussycats, which is obviously, you know, not, not worth pointing out in terms of like, part of their filmography if we're talking about this movie being made in 1999 but if we're talking about an evolution from can hardly wait to josie and the pussycats i think that it would make sense to sort of show josie and the pussycats as like an alternate universe of what this scott pilgrim versus the world movie could have been i agree with that i think that's like a, a good place of like uh, a, a could have been right right i like it okay cool so my director yeah is someone who I wanted them to be able to handle the action because I felt like the comedy and the zaniness would be coming from the writer. And then, but you need someone who can kind of handle the action and a grand world. So this sort of action is something like, you know, Leon the Professional. And a crazy overworld is something like The Fifth Element. And just last year, he directed Taxi. 
So in 1999, Luke Besson was probably the person they would have gone to to make Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I I don't think that you're wrong, but I will say Luke Besson, very problematic figure. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I don't want him. I want yeah. to go with your two people, but this is who would have been uh, would have been tapped for this movie. I think you're probably right. <laughs> um, yeah. So in that way, in a world building way, it's a good choice. Um, in a uh, uh, reality, like Luke Besson is a, a, a monster way, uh, maybe not so much. Yeah, yeah. Like I <laughs> wanted to bring him up because that's what would have happened. Because I wanted to shoot him down because this is the ideal pre make, right? Uh, so I think we should have it written by Ed Solomon and then directed by uh, your two, whose names I've already forgotten. Yeah, and they're a writer-director team, so all three of them could write it together. Um, because, I'm good with that. Yeah, because Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, written by uh, Michael Bacall to start with, and then when Edgar Wright came on board, he did a, another draft um, before directing it. So we'll just let's just say that that's what happened here. I agree with that. Okay. Say their names again. Uh, Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan. Wonderful. Great. So that kind of helps us establish tone. Mm -hmm. Because we now know what they like and the style of comedy and action that we're going to be looking at. Yeah. And it now makes me sad that I didn't put, um, oh, shoot, what's his name? Uh, Sugar in water. Oh. (laughs) Uh, Oh, man. I don't don't remember his name. Oh, no. Vincent D'Onofrio. There it is. Thank you. Yep. Uh, and I didn't put Vincent D'Onofrio in here anywhere. Uh, yeah, I feel like he would have been too old for anything. He definitely would have. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing about this movie. There are no, like, proper adults. No, the oldest you get, I think, in this movie is Gideon? I think so. Or, like, that random guy who's like, hey, uh, you know everybody, right? I do know everyone. Yeah, yeah, but he, I think he was really young too um, at the time because he was just playing like a like an extra role. He would he went on to do like lots of sitcoms and stuff like that. But yeah, I think even back. I mean, then I recognize was... him for stuff, but I don't know who that guy is. I didn't recast him. Yeah, no, neither did I. <laughs> but yeah, like th- that's why I think another reason why it was good to take out Knives Chow's mo- Knives Chow's mom. Yeah, Knives Chow's. It's hard to say. Yeah. Possessive just, knives chow is uh is, that's difficult. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh so then let's talk about who we would fill this world with. Let's talk about Scott. Yeah. So, We're talking Scott with Scott. <laughs> so this is unrelated, but I realized so the last uh the, no, not the last. The first episode you were a guest on was when we talked about Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And I realized we went that entire episode without making a great Scott joke. <laughs> and I want you to know that I regret that <laughs> very deeply. Uh, and I want you to know that I definitely do not. So, okay. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about who we have for our Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. So for, for me, I just thought, you know, I, I think this is, this is like the first thing that I cast because it's the thing that, made me want to do this. Like I thought of this and I was like, Oh man, that's really good. And then I messaged you um, <laughs> about doing a, an ideal pre-make because I, I was like, Oh, that's really good. I can't use that for anything. I was like, wait a minute. Yes, I can. Um, so, so uh, for my Scott Pilgrim, I cast Ethan Embry um, who 
was the uh, lead character Preston Myers in Can't Hardly Wait. So he already has a relationship with Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan. Um, he also played the bassist in That Thing You Do. And uh, I mean, I, that's so on the nose. Yeah, right? <laughs> he, uh. he looks like he walked out of the comics. Like, whereas Michael Sarah is sort of doing a combination of the Scott from the comics and uh, his a own, Michael like, Sarah Michael Sarah thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ethan Embry literally just looks like, like Scott Pilgrim is, is like a real person. Um, <laughs> especially in the nineties. Uh, now he's, you know, an older guy, obviously, but in the nineties, like he would, he would have been the ideal person, I think, to play Scott Pilgrim. Interesting. So for my casting, I went with someone who, also kind of looks like the Scott Pilgrim versus the in the comics. Mm-hmm. And he already kind of, he he's young at the time and kind of plays young and definitely is kind of established in our world and, and minds as this kind of dweeby kid who's pining after this girl who's far too good for him. <laughs> okay. And that's why I thought a really good Scott Pilgrim would have been Topher Grace. Oh, Wow. Oh man, I forgot he was around in the '90s. But you're totally right. Wow. Now I don't know if he can play bass, which might make Ethan Embry a better choice. <laughs> but in terms of like overall energy and vibe, that's sure. Topher Grace all day. Sure. I almost wonder if I'm trying to think of like Topher Grace. Like I feel like there are other characters that he could play also uh, in this. That's what's so I- interesting. Well, I will say that I originally had someone else for Scott Pilgrim, but then realized based on the age that that person actually made a better young Neil. Oh, so it's okay. also possible that Topher Grace could himself be young Neil. Yeah, but hmm. do you want to talk about young Neil right now? Because I feel like that's the other place we would potentially put him. Yeah, uh, my young Neil. I cast Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, that is also who I cast. <laughs> well, I guess that one's done. All right. <laughs> All right. Cool. Joseph Gordon-Levitt for young Neil. <laughs> It's the only thing that makes sense. He's the perfect age. Yeah, it's true. He is. All right. So then in that case, let's go with Ethan Embry for uh, Scott Pilgrim. All right. Good. Since that's what inspired this podcast and everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Ramona Flowers is an interesting one because I don't know. Like one of the things that you have to do, you have to think about with in terms of Ramona Flowers in the 90s is like, what would her vibe be? Because in... 2010 her vibe is very aloof and uh, you know just like kind of mysterious but and that was like how she was in the comic as well but it's it's sort of a different they're definitely going for that hipster sort of cool thing and i don't know that that translates to 1999 as well i think you'd have to sort of rethink the character just slightly I think so as well. I think you need to cast someone who is an outsider. I also was looking for someone who kind of like had a bit of the action experience. Oh, okay. And someone who could kind of pull, like, is an outsider and pulls off kind of like that otherworldly vibe mm. while simultaneously being kind of this unattainable beauty. Okay. Who'd you, who'd you pick? Mila Jovovich. Interesting. How old was she in 99? That's an interesting question. I think she might have been 20. 20. Hmm. Interesting. I went with Nev Campbell because I was thinking about like her performance. 
in Mila Jovovich was born in uh, 1975, which she would have been 24. 24. Okay. Yeah, and Nev Campbell was like 20, about the same age, I think, 25, 26, I think, something like that. Yeah, I chose Nev Campbell just because, one, she's a little older than Ethan Embry, which which is the same with um, with Ramona and Scott in the in the 2010 film. Um, yeah. But Nev Campbell, she because like an important part of the character Ramona is that she's getting out of several abusive relationships, really a string of abusive relationships. And um, I wanted to have someone who could play that. While also being sort of, you know, pulling off the epitome of cool, um, right? And and so like that's why I went with Nev Campbell. Your choice is interesting, though. I don't know which I like more. Hmm. Part of the, I'm pr- also metagaming a little bit with uh, Mila Jovovich because I'm kind of I I know that she's going to turn into like this Resident Evil amazing badass. Right. Right. I'm also thinking, like, at the time, like, The Fifth Element came out in 1997. Right. Which is right about the time they would be casting this. And that's so true. that's why I was leaning on this, because I'm like, if you're looking, I'm also like, obviously, the, the different color hair thing is something she can do, but that that's irrelevant. <laughs> um, the It's just like someone at the time who kind of embodies that, that sense of like, that lady is incredibly cool and we can't put a finger on why yeah yeah the other person that i i had as like a maybe was rachel lee cook okay uh, from she's all that uh but but i wasn't i wasn't sure because i hadn't um one one again i think the reason that i went with nev campbell instead was because i was like well now i'm just picking two actors who were in a harry elfont and deborah kaplan movies um (laughs) but but uh, that was the other person that I thought of because I was like, well, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like it would be – it would have been interesting for her in that role because it's like the exact opposite of her role and she's all that, which she had just done. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's Ramona Flowers is such a specific character that it's like really hard to cast. She Ramona Flowers was the one I had the most trouble with. She's the one I cast last. Yeah, yeah, me too. I like, like I'm happy, around I'm it. happy with who I picked, like and I do still think she's the correct choice. Mm-hmm. But it was that was hard to figure out. It was yeah, it's really hard. Um cuz there was also not a lot of like female action stars in their 20s at this time. No, either. there's really not. Yeah. And like even if you pull from some of the other movies at the time like Bill and Ted and men in black it's just the dudes doing the action like right. the, the female leads in those movies just kind of stand around and quip right exactly exactly um and so i wanted someone who could do the action like my favorite scene in all of scott pilgrim is the scene when ramona flowers and uh roxy richter are fighting that's the best yeah that's pretty cool that's definitely cool yeah i mean i'm i'm fine with going with yours I think it's right. I think it's an interesting choice, and yeah, I do think that she could probably um, hold her own in the uh, action sense. Which, uh, whereas my two choices probably less so. Cool. All right. So the next person on my list is Wallace mm-hmm. because I think he's the next most memorable character. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, he's the one that we quote continuously. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. 
For Wallace, I also had a little bit of a hard time kind of figuring out someone who in 1999 would kind of have that kind of snarky vibe Mm -hmm. because one of the amazing things about Scott Pilgrim is it's 2010. It's like we're starting to like gay culture is starting to be much more accepted and popularized and gay marriage is about to be on the horizon. And this is just one of those things where like, yeah, this is just who this character is. Don't be weird about it. Right. And so I'm trying, I was trying to come up with another character who kind of like embodied that sense. Mm -hmm. And so I went with, (laughs) I think my only pull from Dawson's Creek, Kerr Smith. Okay. That's really good. I like that. I, I went with Paul Rudd. Also good. Uh, I want Rudd has the snark. Yeah, he definitely has the snark, and he's actually he's he's uh, played a gay character before um, in the '90s. Actually, uh, I think the object of my affection, I think, was the movie. Uh, yeah, uh, where uh, with uh, Jennifer Aniston, where she, she and her gay best friend have a baby together, um, <laughs> and that's that's played by Paul Rudd. So uh, I, you know, I but I, I man. Kerr Smith is I that's a good pull. I like that. Yeah, I don't know which one I like more. I think I think Kerr Smith is probably the better choice, honestly. All right, cool. I mean the honest truth is that Kerr Smith, I think, is a better Wallace, although Paul Rudd certainly captures the essence of the movie as a whole. Like there might be a better place for him in this movie. Possibly. Like if if we end up landing on one of one of our evil exes where we don't like who we picked. Paul Rudd's a good substitute for just about any of them. That's probably true, yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's go with Kerr Smith for the moment. Okay, cool. And then, so the next person I've got up is Knives Chow. Okay, so Knives Chow was definitely a struggle um, for me because there, there was a thing at the time, I mean, it still happens to a certain extent, but it was really bad at the time uh, in, in the 90s where they were they would cast Asian actresses and they would be like pushing 40 and playing 17 um, because they're like, ah, they're Asian. They can pretend to be a high schooler. And it was always like really cringy and problematic. And then you had actresses who were legitimately young, but then they were playing like much, much older. So like uh, Lucy Liu, for example, was like literally playing like a lawyer who had been a lawyer for a while on Ally McBeal. And she was like in her mid twenties. So, um, so it was like, it was very difficult to, uh, find somebody. So I actually, I cast someone and then sort of backtracked because I remembered when she was cast in this show that I love, uh, she was actually playing much younger than she really was. She was actually pushing 30 at the time, but she was playing a high schooler. And so then I was like, well, if I backtracked a couple of years, she would be fine to play knives chow. So I actually cast Kiko Ajena from Gilmore Girls um who uh she played she plays um the main character's best friend on that show and uh I think she would be great as Knives Chow at the time because honestly her character on Gilmore Girls has a Knives Chow energy to her. Oh man, I believe that. Very fangirly um and <laughs> and would work really well. Gilmore Girls premiered in 2000. So this would have been like a year before that. So it would almost be like she was in this movie and as a result got the Gilmore Girls role. Right. She is 26 at the time. So a little bit older than 17. But it, yeah. Do we really want a real 17 year old playing that part? Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, and, I, and, I, and I think my actress is also around that age as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a little bit lesser known. I 
the problem with casting uh, an Asian actor to play someone who's uh, good at some form of martial arts is always a little bit tricky. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure I wasn't casting someone to do this just because I was like, yeah, they can figure it out. Uh, and so I wanted to cast someone who I knew for sure could do the martial arts. Oh, interesting. So I started digging. So I started digging through the people who'd played Power Rangers. <laughs> oh, man. And I came upon an actress named uh, Patricia Jolly. Uh, Patricia Jolly is actually Korean. Mm-hmm. And she has since done other things. She was like in Resident Evil 5. She was, uh, I think she's two years younger than whomever. But like she's, she was in a lot of Power Rangers. So she did that for a while. And then she did uh, a good chunk of like voiceover stuff. Like she's one of the voices in Akira and mm-hmm. she's done like other video games and things. And so I wanted to cast someone who could really do the fight choreography. I think your choice is probably the wiser choice, <laughs> but Patricia Jolly would vi- be, probably be a very good stunt double for her. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right, cool. Next up, I've got Kim. Yeah. Kim Pine. Who... I think we can agree is probably all told the best character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Comic too. But <laughs> probably. <clears throat> but like it's you you don't get that until you've seen this movie at least four times. Sure. Yeah. Cuz a lot of her stuff is like blink and you miss it stuff. Yeah. And she's also kind of like she's the redheaded one, but also just like the cutting sarcasm is just so amazing. So I feel like the best choice to play uh, 1999 Kim is Allison Hannigan. Interesting. That's I I thought of her. I actually had thought of her for multiple roles um, in, in this, <laughs> and and was was actually waffling about making her Ramona Flowers at one point. Um, oh, I can see that. Yeah, but uh, I I went with someone else that has like. Very specific Kim Pine energy. I almost feel like Allison Hannigan is too. I don't know how to uh, like like like. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I think she might be a better Stacy Pilgrim. Let's say. Yeah, yeah. She she has much. She's just a little more like cheery, I guess. Um, and Kim Pine has that kind of like Daria energy to her. Um, I think that's fair. I think that's a good point. Yeah, which is why I cast Lauren Ambrose. Uh, Lauren Ambrose is actually from Can't Hardly Wait, um, but she's also done like Six Feet Under and uh, a few other things. But she definitely has the vibe of Kim Pine to me. Um, she actually she has a similar vibe to um, the actress who played her in the real movie. Cool. Uh, All right. Yeah, I'm happy to go with that. Lauren Ambrose for sure. Okay, great. Next up, Stephen Stills. Stephen Stills. I, for this, so Stephen Stills is kind of the movie's secret weapon. Um, I I probably quote him more than anyone else in the movie. Just for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, but like when he's like, uh, can't you just do it for the band? For the band? For the band? <laughs> for the band? Um, I I just love his like anxiety about not being good enough all the time. Um, which is definitely not something that I have in common with him at all. But <laughs> uh, only you know every waking hour of my life. So, Absolutely, yeah. So I have, I have, I, I just, I really, I really like Stephen Stills a lot. Um, but he's got to have the right like 
frontman vibe quality to him and he needs to ha- be very charming and you need to like get why someone like Ju- julie powers would be like into him and so i went with joshua jackson Ooh, i'm i just don't know who that is joshua jackson was uh pacey on dawson's creek this feels like the time i should reveal i've never actually seen an episode of dawson's creek oh okay i mean that's not surprising because you haven't seen most things that is also true. <laughs> and also Dawson's Creek was out at a time when it would have been like, no, that's something my sister would want. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but yeah, Joshua Jackson, he was a he was a big like teen actor in the in the uh, 90s. Um, and he was in like there was like that whole slasher movie craze. And he was in like two slasher movies. And uh, he was in Cruel Intentions. He actually would have been a pretty good Wallace as well based on his character and cruel intentions. But uh, yeah, I, for some reason, I think he has the, the right Steven stills vibe. Plus I could, I, I bet he would look great in a uh, Western uh, Western shirt. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> I went with someone who would look good in uh, like all the shirts. Cause he's worn them a bunch. Mm. I went with kind of like a similar look. I, the problem with my casting is that he might honestly be too confident. Oh, okay. And that's great, but I feel like he would also be able to play the not confident at all just because, I mean, nerd icon that he is, I feel like he'd be able to, to pull it off. Oh. And I just – this just felt like the right place for Seth Green. Yeah, so I thought about putting Seth Green there. I actually ended up casting him elsewhere, um, but that makes sense to me. I, I had put Seth Green here at one point, so – uh, I want to maybe maybe we maybe we pause on Steven Stills and come back to it so that I can maybe. talk I'm, about. I'm perfectly. Yeah, I, I'm perfectly happy to go with Joshua Jackson uh, here because, like I said, I knew putting Seth Green here, he might be a little bit too confident for the role. Mm-hmm. But I, for me, like I, he kind of like had the energy of like a band leader that I kind of enjoyed. Yeah, sure, that makes sense, but. Uh... All right. Let, yeah, so well, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to go with Joshua Jackson. Okay, cool. So then we already have young Neil because mm-hmm. we're brilliant. <laughs> the next person I have is Stacy Pilgrim. Okay. Who do you got? So I wanted someone who had the, the hipness, kind of had that upbeat energy, and who was very, very popular at the time. Okay. And that's why I thought the perfect person to play Stacy Pilgrim would be Amanda Bynes. Interesting. Amanda Bynes. How old was she in 99? That's a good question that I will answer for you right now. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think she would be too young. She was born in 86. Yeah. Um, that's That was my only thing that I was worried about. I was like, isn't she, wouldn't she be like 14 at the time or even 13? Shoot. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Very, very I, young. For, I forgot that Stacy was the older sister, not the younger sister. No, no, no. She is the younger sister, but she calls her brother little brother. And he's like, I'm older than you. Like, it's a, it's like a joke because- uh, but but she has like a job and she's well out of high school like he is. So right, um, I think she's only like a, supposed to be like a year younger than him, and she calls him little brother. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I went with Reese Witherspoon for Stacy Pilgrim. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon's also great. Yeah, it's Reese definitely the same vibe change. that I think you were trying to go for. Absolutely right. Just you know, aged appropriately. <laughs> the all right. So next, I've got uh, Julie Powers. Julie Powers, I, I'm not going to bury the lead here. I went with Sarah Gilbert, um, who is, uh, I think, at the time, most notable for uh, playing one of Roseanne's daughters on Roseanne, the, uh, the Daria-esque daughter. 
Um, <laughs> so she definitely has that vibe of like of that sort of <laughs> like Gen X quality, which I imagine Julie Powers in the 90s would have sort of like, um, oh, what's that comedian's name that was in? But uh, uh, she I, I imagine 1999 Julie Powers would have. Um, the vibe of of that comedian Janine Garofalo, like it feels like she would have a Janine oh, yeah, Garofalo yeah, yeah. sort of vibe in the '90s. That sort of Gen X, like I'm better than any any of you people kind of vibe. Because uh, like in 2010, she could do the hipster thing, but in '99, it's like she sort of has to be. She has to have like a different vibe. It has to be. She has to be. She kind of has to be post grunge. Yes, right. Post grunge. Yes. So that's why I went with Sarah Gilbert. I think that's a good choice. Um, my Julie Powers, I also went with someone kind of who could pull that off. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I kind of didn't... I tr- I was kind of trying to step away from the Aubrey Plaza-ness of it because Aubrey Plaza is just so distinctly who that person is. Sure. And I wanted someone who could kind of do that same sort of thing and have fun with the role, but in a different way than, uh, than Aubrey Plaza. Okay. And so that's why I went with Brittany Murphy. Oh, interesting. Like, absolutely could play the same character. Absolutely would be the kind of person who has all the jobs because she has to. Yeah. But just kind of knows everybody and knows what's cool. Yeah. Interesting. And would be very hot at this time because she was just in Clueless. Yeah. Well, like uh, like four years ago. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. she was the one who, like, post-Clueless was like, oh, my gosh, Brittany Murphy. That's true. That's true. Alicia Silverstone was all- Alicia Silverstone was as well, but they made a lot of poor choices. Her and her uh, management team. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Brittany Murphy made her and her management team made good choices, but yeah. she made bad life choices. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Although it, theoretically, we were talking because I just recorded an episode about Clueless. They were talking about how like everyone thinks it was a drug overdose, but it wasn't. It was probably just a gas leak. Oh no! It was mold or mold. Excuse me. Yeah, it was black mold. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, that's why I thought Brittany Murphy would actually work in this role to be like a '90s version of what Aubrey Plaza would be ten years later. Interesting. I uh, I don't I don't hate that. I would be. It's interesting too because she's not immediately where my head goes, but I think that that does make sense, especially in 1999, because I she was in Girl Interrupted in 1999 playing a character that makes sense as a julie powers type so i'm actually kind of into <laughs> your idea i like i and i and not for nothing but i like Brittany murphy more just in general than sarah gilbert so cool let's rock and roll then all right and that brings us to our very first of the evil exes yeah we've got matthew patel so for matthew patel um i there, I mean, there are definitely not a lot of Indian actors in 1999, especially at this age yeah. range. So, correct. I definitely had to cheat a little bit, um, where I had to sort of go outside of their established filmography um, and and backtrack a little. So, when I when I thought about Matthew Patel, one thing that I think is notable about the actor who portrays him in the movie is that the this guy was no one before. He was in Scott Pilgrim. He actually auditioned for Scott Pilgrim without anyone asking him to by just sending a video of himself doing the lines from the comic dressed as Matthew Patel to Edgar Wright and Edgar Wright cast him based on that. Um, That's amazing and good for him. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So so 
you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this is a first time role for someone. And that's why I went with um, someone who was around 22 years old at the time and is now a really big actor. But, you know, this would have been their first role. Um, I went with Kumail Nanjiani. That's uh, it's not bad. Yeah, it's a, it's a good choice. And I could definitely see Kumail doing the 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 reaching out and trying to figure out a way to to get his way in. Yeah, and I think that um Kumail is also like a big video game guy, so that's where I think he would have been attracted to this ahead of time. So like it all sort of makes sense in my mind that he would have at least attempted to be cast in this. And uh yes. so that's why I went with I went with Kumail. I think that's a smart choice. I went with the person who would have been established at the time and kind of would have been the expected pull. So I'm guessing you know who I, where I'm going with this. Mm. I went with Cal Penn. Yeah, I had Cal Penn as my backup. Yeah, I like it, with everything we know at the time. Like uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I don't know. Was Harold and Kumar go to White Castle initially successful, or was it an eventually successful? No, no, no. It was it was initially successful. People yeah. Love that so that's why I was like, it'll. I'll, all things being equal, it will probably be him. Uh-huh. But also part of the reason why I like the choice is because one of the fun bits of trivia about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle that I enjoy is that both Harold and Kumar kind of play opposites of who they are as people. Right. Like, like the Kumar character is the actual person who's a little bit like narcissistic and like in his own head. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it'd be fun to kind of like give him a character that is able to be like arrogant on the surface of it. And it's like, well, what do you re- mean you didn't read my email? Right. <laughs> What's email? This is 1999. Right. It's 1999. What do you mean you didn't download AOL <laughs> off the disc in mail? <laughs> what was the last I'm time you went to a Target? I'm up to 5.0, baby. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so. I mean, they're both good choices, and I, I like the only reason I would lean more towards Cal Penn is because I cast Camille Nagiani in a lot of things all the time. Like oh, he comes up a lot, okay. and Cal Penn doesn't come up nearly as much. All right, fair enough. Let's let's Just, go with but, Cal Penn. I mean, he was my backup anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, but that's ideal remake metagaming. Right. True. <laughs> so that brings me to uh, to Lucas Lee. Uh huh. So Lucas Lee. I kind of wanted someone who had like kind of that inherently cool energy and that expectation of everyone's like, Oh, well, yeah, clearly this is the person who's going to be the movie star. Uh Like he used to be an okay rapper, but now he's an okay actor. Will Smith. Oh my God. We cast the same person as Lucas Lee. Did we really? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly who I cast as Lucas Lee. It's so perfect. It is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Will Smith without a doubt. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, cool. Then tell me about your Todd. Uh, so for Todd, I wanted to pick someone who felt like a '90s rock star um, that you would you would absolutely believe as a '90s rock star, and also believe as a vegan. Um, <laughs> so so that's why I cast. I think you could go you could go two ways with this one. I lean toward the actor that I actually enjoy more, and that is Heath Ledger. However, yeah, I think you could have also you could also go Jared Leto. Um, either way, someone pl- who played the Joker is playing this role. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could go with the Joker, or we could go with someone who clearly has a background in rock and roll, and we know will save the future because of it. 
Oh. And that's why and that's why I think Keanu Reeves is also a very good Todd. Yeah, Keanu Reeves is a good Todd. That's uh yeah, that's pretty good too. Now he's never played the Joker, but he <laughs> has but he I know he's going to be in those movies somehow at some point. I would definitely believe him as as like a like a vegan rock star too. I I think my only issue with him is that he is a little old to have been dating uh, Milo Jovovich, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. I think he's like 35 and 99. I will verify this. I think, I think, he's, I think he's a little old. Yes, that is absolutely accurate. Yeah, so uh, I don't know about that. Um, I feel like he's Fair like, enough. I feel like in that, I, that's a really good choice. And if it was like, if we were doing 1995 Scott Pilgrim, Without a doubt, no, 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 uh, yeah. no argument for me. But uh, I think thirty-five versus twenty-four is um, pretty problematic. Yeah. yeah. This, so I think I think Heath Ledger's the right choice. Okay. Which is going to make it all the more interesting when I tell you that my Envy Adams is Julia Stiles. Oh, interesting. My Envy Adams is Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Those are very different picks. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's something glamorous about Envy Adams uh, that I think that Sarah Michelle Gellar has like inherent to her or um, can can definitely bring to the role. And I think after playing, she will have been playing Buffy for three seasons at this point. And to be able to play someone as sort of opposite of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as Envy Adams, I think she would have like a ton of fun with Um it would be kind of similar to her role in Cruel Intentions, but if she was cast in this, she wouldn't be in Cruel Intentions, so I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I went with Julia Stiles because I was going purely off the scowl. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I like I want someone who can like who can pull off the rocker attitude. Sure. Like the like I don't give a shit about anyone or anything, and that includes you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so that that's what I thought it'd be fun. Right. Yeah, I just don't think she has the uh I don't know that she has the 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 ability to be like super glamorous. Um cuz she's very down to earth actress, Julia Stiles. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, I definitely also considered Sarah Michelle Gellar, so I'm I'm not opposed to that. I just wanted to fight for her a little bit also Actually, because that way uh Julia Stiles would be dating Heath Ledger, like <laughs> and she would have abandoned Ethan Embry to go back to Heath Ledger. That's funny. And I find that amusing. Well, I will say this. I think that Julia Stiles as Ramona Flowers makes a lot of sense too. That's true also. Yeah. I don't know. Julia Stiles is great. I love Julia Stiles. Yeah. Um but as do I. Yeah. But uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for Sarah Michelle Geller on Envy Adams. All right, that's fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm going to be curious if it happens again, uh, us having the same person for Roxy Richer, because I feel like I we chose. Do not. We don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I I feel like I chose like a really obvious person for this character, and I think that she'd be really good. But um, it will. I, I'm I'm interested to see how this turns out. I picked someone who is very very popular at the time, still cool, but like was very much in in that time would have probably been considered for this role. And this is something very different from anything she's ever done, which would have been, allowed her to have a little bit more fun with it. Interesting. Okay. Cause I picked someone who's like kind of always been relegated to like the side character mm-hmm. that like literally the woman who is the friend who gets either overshadowed or forgotten. Okay. 
because I thought Gabrielle Union would be an amazing uh, Roxy Richter. Gabrielle Union. I don't know who that is. She's uh, the other cheerleader in uh, Bring It On. Hmm. Or the other team's head cheerleader, I should say. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, Always the bridesmaid, never the bride, Gabrielle Union. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Also from 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. She's like, like, you don't like, it's hard to realize, but like Gabrielle Union is very, very much the 90s. Yeah. She was in a lot of stuff in the 90s for sure. Yeah. Now that I'm seeing her. And like, like so prevalent to the point where like, it's, you recognize her face, but might not necessarily where, like, she's one of those people who you'll recognize, but not know which they're from. Hmm. And she also just happens to be very charming. So I, I like her. I think she's fun. And I think she could do more things. Cause I, I think don't, she's great. I, I'll be honest. I don't love her as Roxy Richer. Um, uh, because I think Roxy has to have a very specific vibe that I don't know that Gabrielle Union has. I actually, if we want to go back to Ramona Flowers, I'm up for Gabriel Union as Ramona. Ooh, I'm I, not opposed to that. Yeah, because I, I, I think she's got much more of a Ramona vibe. Like she could be that mysterious, like insanely hot, like new girl. And I think, I think that's kind of. I don't know. I really like her for for Ramona more than now that I'm like looking at pictures of her from specifically from 1999. Um, <laughs> I I think yeah. I I don't know. I think that that could be a good choice and another really good uh, use of uh, diversifying our cast by making her the female lead. Absolutely. Um, I'm not opposed to that. Okay. Sure. But before we do that, tell me about who you had for Roxy. For my Roxy, I have Natasha Leone. Um, oh, tell me why. So Natasha Leone, she is like, especially in 99, she was, or like in the 90s, she played like a lot of lesbian characters. Um, Did she really? Yeah, like a ton. Uh, like she was in like three or four movies about how hard it is to like, be like a in this sort of like girly girl 90s era of like boy bands and stuff in high school but also being gay and being attracted to your friends she was like (laughs) in a bunch of movies like that uh in the 90s and then i think she really started breaking out in 99 when she was uh tara reed's like best friend in american pie right um i i just think that she has a very similar vibe to uh, Mae Whitman and would have been able to pull off a Roxy Richer. Like I would believe that she was, she just has that, that vibe where it's like, it's hard to explain, but I feel like if, if I were to like, if, if I were to watch something where Natasha Leone was like, yeah, no, I had a thing with your ex-girlfriend. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. You're Natasha Leone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's fair. Yeah. It's a good poll. I like it. Uh, cool. All right. So then we'll do Natasha Leone for Rox- Natasha Leone for Roxy, and then Gabrielle Union will be our Ramona Flowers. Yeah. I and like uh, you, and I'll tell uh, Mila Jovovich that you just don't like her. It's fair. <laughs> well, I don't like her husband. Uh, is she still married to him? I, I, I last I know that she. I think she was Paul. Paul. She w- was married to the guy who was ma- making the Resident Evils, right? Right. Paul W. S. Anderson. Yeah. Not, yeah, I'm pretty sure she divorced him, and that's why she's not in those movies anymore. Is that right? Oh, okay. I think so. Oh, good, yeah, good for her. <laughs> Something like that. I was lis- like, I was listening to the uh, the How Did This Get Made episode about it, and they they were kind of alluding to that. Oh, well, good for her. 
Yeah, fun episode uh, of another podcast that uh, neither of us make. Nope. <laughs> so then, I, I for the twins, I it really, was the same actor playing both of them, right? I don't think it was. I think they were actual twins. Um, All right, Edgar, that's Edgar, fine, I guess. Edgar Wright has a thing with twins, and he always casts at least one set of twins in everything that he's ever directed. He likes uh, things to be... Um, uh, what is that? Symmetrical? <laughs> he likes yeah. symmetry in his stuff. And so he's always had like a like a thing like for twins and his stuff. And he's really good at casting twins. Uh, but they're always like they're always characters or I mean, almost always characters that don't have any speaking roles or, or any speaking lines. Um, but uh, yeah, I cast the same actor as both cool. because I don't know, man. I was I was like <laughs> that is way too specific. I I don't think I yeah. can find young Asian actor Asian American actors in the nineties. That's very yeah. I'm, I'm not doing an actual casting call here. Right, exactly. I went with John Cho, who That's I know who I considered. He I, uh, I know he's not Japanese, but he also played Sulu, and that seemed to work out okay. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the like I. I consider John Cho because in the same way that I considered Cal Penn, like yeah. he's very, he's very now as well as he was then. Yeah. Um, I did a little bit of digging for this character also. And he's a, this actor. I also pulled from power Rangers, which I ended up thinking was kind of funny. He was in power Rangers lost galaxy. Okay. Uh, but he also spent years and years on CSI. Okay. It's an actor named uh, Archie cow, a uh, cow spelled K A O. Okay. Yeah, sure. And he kind of had the look. He kind of had like the that essence, and uh, I just thought it'd be fun. Yeah, sure. Someone, someone a little bit different. Someone we don't necessarily know. Yeah, he's uh thirty at this point in ninety nine, um, which yeah, is but... which is within the realm of like okayness. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I say we go for him because they were unknowns in Scott Pilgrim anyway. So I think that works out exactly. Yeah, cool. Then uh, then we got to talk about Gideon. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, you went. You went first for the last one. I'll, I'll. I'll head this one off. Yeah. Um, Gideon is very specific, just because that actor whose name now escapes me. Um, Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> Thank you. Jason Schwartzman is just so specific, and it's just like, oh yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. Of course, he'd be the evil mastermind behind all of this. Mm-hmm. And so I went with someone who, in 1999, you'd look at it and go, oh yeah, of course he's the evil mastermind behind all of this. Sure. So I went with Danny Masterson. Danny Masterson. Interesting. Okay. He's Hyde from that 70s show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for people who don't necessarily know. Yeah. He's a completely different t- type of character, but he plays the jerk very well. And in that 70s show, he plays the jerk who we learn eventually really cares. But for our purposes, just a jerk. He just gets to have fun being a dick. Yeah. It's really too bad that Topher Grace isn't just a little older because he would have been a perfect Gideon. <laughs> I think he would be a perfect Gideon now. Yeah. I don't think he'd be a perfect Gideon in 1999. No, that's what I'm saying. That's why I wish he was just a little older. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I went with Seth Green as uh, Gideon. This is where you put Seth Green? This is where I put Seth Green. Because I just think he has that he, – he can do that. Like if you look at his character, Scott, uh, in the Austin Powers movies, <laughs> you know, it's like that that vibe of just – you know, having everything handed to him and being like really smug and holier than thou about everything. 
Uh, I would believe Seth Green is like a person who's worked in the music industry for a long time and and now has uh, a lot of power as a music producer. I, that's Yeah, yeah, that's why I went with Seth Green. Um, he is... I mean, the thing that makes Seth Green good for this role as opposed to Stephen Stills is this is a role where just the quiet arrogance works. Yes, absolutely. So that's why, that's why I went with Seth Green for this one. But yeah, so... Just looking at their various ages. They are remarkably wait hold on (laughs) this is they are uh a month and five days apart in terms of age (laughs) wow yeah so we're pretty much right on the money yeah yeah Uh, personally i would say seth green just because i believe him is working in the music industry immediately more than i would danny masterson danny masterson has that sort of hippie quality isn't the right thing that i'm thinking of but it's sort of like a he's definitely snarky, but in a like, but you know, whatever, man, like kind of way. Like I would believe him more as like the guy who knows everybody. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah, that is good casting for him. Yeah. So we'll make him that. Okay. Guy who knows everybody. Yeah. And then that does it in terms of characters. Did you have any other one, any other people? No, that was all of my characters. I did, like I said at the beginning, cast the bands that would be playing Sex Bomb and The Clash of Demon Head. Um, and I'm delighted to hear about this. Yeah, so the Clash of Demon Head, you know, Metric is a female-led band um, that have a little bit of theatricality to them. Uh, and so I wanted to translate that to the 90s, but also in the way that Metric was sort of a, it, sort of a little bit of an unknown band. I mean, obviously, they're fairly big, but, you know, 2010 is a very different time for music than 1999. Um, so, so Evanescence? No. Uh, I actually went with Garbage. Garbage? Yes. I'm not sure I know, I'm not sure I know Garbage. garbage. Tell me about Garbage. Uh, so Garbage is a band from the 90s um, led by uh, the, uh, the singer uh, Shirley – oh, man. What is her name? Now I'm losing it. Um, Shirley Manson. And uh, – they have a lot of hits. Specifically, I'm trying to think of. Um, I think there's a one lot of hits. Terrible SEO. Yeah. Well, gar- garbage. So, like the the one the I think one of their songs. Yeah, that is one of theirs. There's a song called um, "Only Happy When It Rains," um, and that's oh, I love that song. Yeah. So that's garbage. Great. Yeah. So that's who I cast as uh, as the band who would be like making the songs for Clash of Demon Head. Great. Love it for. Uh, Sex Bomb. This is difficult because Beck did an interesting thing where he made songs that don't quite sound like Beck. Um, you know, he didn't. He didn't like. <laughs> uh, he 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 definitely played a role um, when he wrote the songs for uh, this movie, which is really impressive. Really, um, he's a very talented musician, and Beck was around in the '90s. But it's not fun if I just use Beck again. So uh, true. I wanted to get somebody who had a there was there's a sense of humor to their music and they're very very unknown at the time especially at the time they were really only known for like one thing and uh but I really like them a lot and they have the right vibe because you don't want somebody who's too you don't want a band who's like too put together you know like I thought about like Weezer but I think that that's like that's they're they're too put together at this point in 99 um, you want somebody? I think we're both thinking the same thing. Uh, Eiffel sixty five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I went with Nerf Herder, who is 
<laughs> who's a uh, like a geek rock band in the '90s who um, were most known for the theme song to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's perfect. Yeah, so that's who I went with for Sex Bomb. I love it. That's great. Uh, awesome. So then, now that we have our writer, our director, our our cast. What does this allow us to say changes about the original movie? Like, what what are the important pieces now that um, we're able to adjust? Well... Like, are they going to be going to underground rock shows? Because that was still a thing in the 90s. I mean, if there's anything yeah. that proves it, it's the, it's the movie Hackers. Oh, yeah, for sure. There were definitely underground rock shows. There were also raves, so... That's something you can have. I mean, I feel like that's going to be the final one. That's where they're facing off against the twins. Right. Exactly. So that could be a rave now, um, which is pretty cool. And, you know, just in general, I mean, I think that it allows us to do like I like we said at the beginning, it allows things to sort of slow down and become more of a grounded character piece with these fights that are uh, a little more grounded as well. Um, nice. And, uh, you know, just some nice wide shots of uh, of stunt choreography fight choreography which would with uh, uh limited cutting hopefully because born identity hadn't come out yet so people hadn't discovered <laughs> cheating quite yet <laughs> but uh i i just think that what you can do here i just think that like in 1999 which is a great year for film by the way like the movies in 1999 there's a lot of films that came out that year that are like will always be remembered you know it's like the matrix yeah. came out that year phantom menace came out that year uh it was a big year for movies um 1999 and i think that there's a lot to be said as far as uh, what this movie represents i mean i think that obviously gen x were struggling with getting things going as far as um you know their lives but also it was still <laughs> a lot easier than it was for uh us millennials be- thanks to we, we uh thanks to we just come out at the other side of the culture wars right right well i mean like yeah because like th- thanks to uh or thanks to uh silicon valley gen x like kind of gave themselves jobs in that world so i mean you could do a movie about this guy who is into music and it's just not really working out as far as like they're not going anywhere with their music and he doesn't really know what to do but he has maybe he has an opportunity at at like an office job or like a silicon valley kind of thing and just isn't pulling the trigger because he just doesn't want to go that route you know sort of like he has an opportunity to be an adult and he's like actively choosing not to do it yeah, I, I honestly think that's probably the right vibe because one of the things that we remember about the 90s and one of the things that like makes quote unquote 90s kids what they are is like to, to say it in a jingle that they didn't want to grow up. They were Toys R Us kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was kind of like the first semblance of these people who were like, well, I mean, we could be adults, but why? That's no fun. Right. And... I think it could be absolutely the story of someone who like absolutely refuses to grow up, but then realizes like he can still enjoy the things he enjoys, but still be like a functioning human. Yeah. Like video games and whatever else. I mean, I think that this version of the, of the movie ends with him being alone, but getting a job at like a video game company. Yeah. I think that's, 
I mean, based on what skills? <laughs> well, I mean, liking video games. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's good at that. Uh, maybe he's good at that stuff in this version. I mean, maybe the fights are almost like a like a uh, a representation of what's actually happening. You know, like he's seeing the world in a certain way in in video game way. Uh, but you know, the reality is that maybe they're just having an argument or whatever. But uh, in his world, he's seeing this elaborate video game like fight. I think that there's, I think that some of the fight sequences, I don't know which one, but one of these needs to be like a first person shooter kind of vibe. Um, I feel like that's going to be his fight against Lucas Lee. Yeah, I think that would be a good he's one. Out all the uh, the the body doubles or whatever. Oh right, yeah, that's true. Um, and like just individually, like they just flash red and then disappear. Right. Yeah. Or in or the, the the second way, the second um, round through uh, Gideon Graves's chaos theater level. Right. Yeah. I I feel like what they would do in a 90s version is that's who he would be. Like, everyone's like, you have to stop seeing everything as a video game. And it's just we're walking through and like, because he sees everything as a video game. And it's like all his friends and people that he knows keep saying, stop it, stop it, stop Mm -hmm. it. And then, uh, but he ends up finding the balance of like, all right. And so like, I feel like the initial Gideon pass will be as a video game. And then the second pass will be not as a video game. And he's just confronting this guy going, you have to stop harassing and like you act and like he actually like actually gets into a fight with uh Seth Green. Yeah, yeah. And it's not video gamified at all. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good take. Um I also think all of the video game elements in a 1999 version of this, especially a movie like this probably wouldn't have a big budget like the Matrix would. So I don't no, think No, these would be I don't these would be like N64 style because that is the best version at the time. Well, I was actually going to say I don't think any of this would be uh I don't think any like CGI would really be happening here. I would say that a lot of it is just um sort of almost like Roger Rabbit where like all the elements are like hand-drawn animation. I think I agree with that. I think that's a good take. Yeah. That would be really cool actually. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a good sense. And then obviously the story beats and the emotional arcs are good. Mm-hmm. And we like mir- mirrored what will come later. And so, yeah, I, I think that's our movie. I, I, I like it. Yeah, I think it's about a guy who doesn't want to grow up and is dating a high schooler because she makes him feel younger than he actually is and, and allows him to escape becoming an adult because she's not an adult yet. And then, you know, ending up with uh, Ramona in a relationship with Ramona and she's sort of teaching him to take a look at his life and take a look at the way that he reacts to things and his his interactions with her evil exes are causing him to grow up and then it results in him going his own way and getting a job at a video game company. Good. I agree with everything you just said. I love it. Yeah. All right. So then in that case, let me uh, take us through our cast one more time. Okay. And uh, let's celebrate Scott Pilgrim 99. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim 99. Scott Pilgrim will be played by Ethan Embry. Ramona Flowers will be Gabrielle Union. Wallace will be Kerr Smith. Knives Chow will be uh, Kiko Agina. Kim will be Lauren Ambrose. Steven Stills is Joshua Jackson. Young Neil will be Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Stacy Pilgrim will be Reese Witherspoon. Julie Powers is Brittany Murphy. Evil X number one, Matthew Patel. 
will be Cal Penn. Evil X number two, Lucas Lee, will be Will Smith. Number three, Todd, will be Heath Ledger, who will be dating Envy Adams, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Number four, Roxy Richter, is uh, Natasha Lyonne. Five and six, the twins are Archie Cow. With seven, Gideon Graves as Seth Green. But the guy who knows everyone is Danny Masterson. <laughs> All of this will be written by Ed Solomon, but in collaboration uh, with the director-writer team of Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan. And that is Scott Pilgrim 99. Yeah. Scott, how many times are you going to go see this movie? Uh, at least seven times. At least. <laughs> awesome. Uh, cool. So then I guess now's the time. Uh, what else have you got going on, Scott? Tell us about your uh, kingdom. Well, if you like uh, people talking about an ideal remake of something, or in this case, pre-make, then you might also like my podcast, Theme Park This, which is uh, a podcast where myself and my co-host Brian and Kyle get together and take a subject of any kind, whether it's a, an IP uh, a subject or or just like something random uh, and try to turn it into a theme park that includes a restaurant, uh, a uh, an attraction of some sort and a ride. And uh, we've been doing we, we do that uh, with, you know, things that are more well known, like, you know, Star Wars or James Bond. But then also we have an episode upcoming that's a theme park based on My Chemical Romance. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, what, that's going to be such a cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 uh you know we try and uh, do all kinds of things, and eventually I think we're really going to get to you know doing something like a theme park based on the British Bake Off. Uh, what does that look like? You know, uh, and that's that's definitely the place that we want to get to eventually. So uh, that is called Theme Park This, and it comes out every other week, and. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about it, and I hope that you check it out. I'm so excited for the soggy bottom slide. <laughs> Actually, uh, I, I've already talked about, uh, or I've already made jokes amongst uh, amongst my co-hosts about a uh, a a drop ride that's called uh, the uh, oh, what is it, the Bincident, um, which is <laughs> that's great. Yeah, where you start off in a freezer and you end up in the trash. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, this is this is completely unrelated to anything. But do you like track down the uh, like the Bake Off for charity and the and the Christmas episodes? Oh yeah. Did you watch the episode with James Acaster? No, I don't think I did. Oh, you got to find that one. Okay, it's amazing. All right, I am definitely going to check that one out. Um, also, uh, the original podcast series that is uh, you know fully cast with actors and everything that I created and co executive produced with. Uh, my writing partner, Nick Jimenez, and Cassandra Fredrickson uh, called Geek by Night. Uh, we are marching toward the series finale of that, um, which Ooh, will be later this exciting. year. And as a result, one of the complaints that we had about the show originally was that the episodes were too long. People like these original series podcasts, I guess, these audio dramas to be uh, each episode less than 30 minutes. So uh, I've re-edited the show to be in uh, a shorter format, and we've been re-releasing the episodes in this format. Uh, so we're re-releasing all of them sort of like in a lead-up to the series finale later this year. So this is the perfect time to listen to Geek by Night for the first time, or if you've already listened to it before, 
then maybe uh, re-listen and uh, get ready for the series finale later this year. I will say that if you're a fan of Scott Pilgrim or just a fan of comic books in general, Geek by Night really is a show that you should be listening to. It's wonderful and it's very comic booky in all the best ways. Oh, thanks, Sam. You're very welcome. Uh, and then, like, social media? Yeah, I'm uh, at Scott Corelli on Twitter and most social medias. I'm on Instagram, all that stuff, and it's always just Scott Corelli. Perfect. All right, cool. If you're interested in following me on social media, I am at Sam Gash on Twitter, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. Or you can follow the podcast, which is at Ideal Remake on Twitter or Instagram, but mostly Instagram. I actually need to do my post for today. Um and you can also join us on Facebook at Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. And if you've got a moment, uh, especially since where else are you going to go? We're all on lockdown. You should really use that time to go and uh, write us some five-star reviews because here, here. It, it would help everyone find this podcast during this time of social distancing and isolation, which I realize we didn't talk about at all and good for us. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so I will end with this. Scott. What is your favorite quote from Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Oof. It's probably the one that I said earlier with uh, Steven Spills. Uh, Steven Stills, do it for the band, the band, for the band, for the band, (laughs) for the band. Uh, (laughs) My favorite quote, because I was thinking about this is it's hard because it's not really a quote, but the thing that slays me every time I watch this movie is when Scott is leaning against the refrigerator with the magnets. And he goes, you know what sucks the most? And he spells out S-U-X. And Wallace says, what? And Scott takes an eight, turns it on its side, and slides it over and just says, everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it gets so me right in my nerdy little core. He he has uh, infinite sadness. Which is infinite sadness. Which is the, the, the name of the third book in the Scott Pilgrim series amazing yeah (laughs) all right scott thank you very much for being a guest for this episode and for recommending this idea at all this was super fun yeah it was it was great thanks for having me on all right bye bye